Welcome to the ACS Memory Palace. My name is Leila Hassan. Many thanks to Nate DeMeo for his inspiration. It's June 27, 1969. No country in the world has legalized same-sex marriage, and one wouldn't for another three decades. Homosexuality was still listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders as a mental illness. In the United States, anti-gay laws were arguably stricter than those in places such as Cuba, Russia, and East Germany. Specific laws regarding homosexuality varied by state. In California, for example, men who were found to have sex with other men were given electrical and pharmacological shock therapy, castrated, and lobotomized. The police were allowed to arrest anyone who wore fewer than three articles of clothing appropriate to their gender. If there was any question about the gender they were assigned at birth, they could be subjected to anatomical inspections. On this warm summer Friday night, people gathered into the Stonewall Inn as they did every weekend. Located in Greenwich, New York, it was a bar for the people who were too young, too poor, or just too much to get in anywhere else. It was run by the Genovese crime family, one of the few families that dominated the mafia in the New York, New Jersey area. They had bought the place two years prior after it had been damaged by a fire and reopened it as a gay bar. There were only a handful of other bars in the area that would serve LGBTQ clientele, and those were also mostly run by the mob. Most of these bars, including the Stonewall Inn, did not have liquor licenses. On paper, this was the reason why they were raided by the police so often. Though in practice, these instances seldomly revolved around alcohol. Regardless, people from the neighboring towns would come here as it was one of the few places they felt they would be safe. The irony in the fact that a bar often filled with police officers was still safer than almost anywhere else shows how few places these people had where they knew they could be themselves. The bar had a pretty dingy look from the outside, and that didn't change once you stepped through its doors. Cheap liquor flowed around the room being served in dirty glasses that would later be stacked inside dirty sinks. Though that still didn't stop patrons from returning night after night and weekend after weekend. This specific night went on, and Friday rolled into Saturday as people danced and laughed and sang and drank, as they always did. As one patron would recall, Stonewall was filled that night with the usual clientele. Drag queens, hustlers, older men who liked younger guys, and stragglers like me. The boy next door who didn't know what he was searching for and felt he had little to offer. Though at around 1am, this was halted to a stop after the police began raiding the bar. This definitely was not an uncommon occurrence, though something about this night was different. Tensions were already high, as just in the last week, the police had already raided five other gay bars in the area, shutting down three of them for good. The police usually showed up to shut down the bar earlier in the night, before it got packed, though this time they showed up at its peak hour. There was something in the air that set this night apart from any other regular Friday night. As patrons heard the sirens and saw the flashing red and white lights from out on the street, the mobsters grabbed their cash and headed for the exits while attempting to disappear in the crowd, not knowing that there were already undercover police in the bar who had been keeping an eye on them all night. The rest of the cops barged in and began pushing people out. Typically, people would flee instantly at the sight of police, running home with fear of being arrested or publicly outed, or likely both. Though this time, people didn't run home. Instead, they stayed in the perimeter outside the bar, talking back at the police, shouting, getting louder and louder and angrier and angrier. Some people were getting arrested and thrown into cop cars, though none going without a fight, by resisting, making fun of the cops, talking back at them, or even throwing things at them. 
two women specifically are largely cited for having started the riots, namely Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, both trans women of color and self-identified drag queens. It is often said that one of them, or both of them, or possibly neither, threw the first brick at the scene. Or it could have been the first bottle, or stone, or cocktail, or beer, or nothing at all. Regardless of what historians say did or didn't start these riots, the events of this night would forever go down in history. Fires were started and lit inside garbage cans and around the bar. Bricks were thrown, bottles were broken, windows were smashed, and the crowd grew to over 10 times its original size. Whether it was the anger of having their nights continuously ruined by these raids, being stripped of the only place where they could be themselves, the pent-up resentment of having their entire existence be criminalized, or likely a combination of all these factors, these people fought and screamed and shouted, eventually forcing the police to barricade themselves inside the bar for their own protection. These customers had claimed these streets surrounding the bar and would continue to stay there throughout the entire night and the six days that followed. Thankfully, there were no deaths throughout the duration of the riots, though there were multiple arrests. The events of these few days are cited as the initiator of the gay liberation movement that would soon ensue, though the actions that occurred during the riots themselves weren't the real catalyst for this movement. Instead, it was the meaning behind them, which was the genuine pride that these people embodied. This movement didn't revolve around the legislative or governmental changes that were made in terms of LGBTQ rights, despite their vast importance. Instead, it surrounded the rejection of shame that was finally being encouraged to those in this community. People came out in unprecedented numbers. People are unsure of where the term coming out of the closet originated from, though we know that it came about sometime after the 60s, as so many people were finally having the courage to do so. For many, simply uttering those few words was enough to put their entire lives at risk, though thousands of people were willing to take that risk if it meant they didn't have to hide their true selves anymore. They openly loved each other in public and refused to form their identities around the heteronormative society. And most importantly, for one of the first times, these people were proud and they showed it. They were proud of how they had stood up for themselves and their communities on those nights. They were proud of how far they had come in life and how many hardships they had been forced through to simply keep on surviving. They were proud of their identities rather than ashamed of them. Proud to be expressing themselves openly, proud to love who they loved. They were proud of the people they used to be, the people that they were, and the people they would become. The first parade to exemplify this pride was held on June 28, 1970, on the very streets that exactly one year before people had fought on in order to pave the way for others to be able to stroll through them without having to go through that same fight. Since then, parades are still held on this day every year in New York City, and also in San Francisco, Sao Paulo, Madrid, Tel Aviv, Seoul, and other cities all around the world. Here, people walk with their partners in one hand, a rainbow flag in the other, and the feeling of pride and relief of liberation in their hearts. <laughs>